Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Hey, glad you guys are here. Um, now, next week, next week we're going to have Clint. Thank you so very much. Next week we're going to have a guest speaker with us. He is one of the RLCI uh, pastors. If you don't know, um, Res Life is a part, it's not just Res Life Church here, but there's RLCI, which is Resurrection Life uh, Churches International. Res Life Churches International. And Clint is a part of that. He is a pastor in Kansas. I believe it's Olathe, Olathe, Kansas. Just doing an awesome work down there. He's going to be up here and in the area. So we asked him to, be, to come and to share with us. So he's going to be sharing next Wednesday. Going to be really, really good. He's extremely, extremely passionate. Uh, a lot, a lot of fun. You're going to have a riot a riot with him next week. But tonight, if you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis 4-2. If you don't, maybe somebody next to you has one that you can peek with, say hi, get to know him, and just borrow. But Genesis 4-2. And we're looking at a story, a very familiar story, the story of Cain and Abel. Now, Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not, but let's just go ahead and let's read it here for just a minute. We're going to start just a little bit into verse 2, and it says this. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Now you go, it goes, it goes Adam and Eve, they had kids, they had sons, Cain and Abel. Not a whole lot of people around, but this is their sons, Cain and Abel. So they're brothers. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the first of his, firstborn of his flock as an offering for the Lord. And then it goes on to say that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, as we read that, to most of us, it's, it's kind of obvious here. Okay, one person brings the best, the firstborn. Not like the leftovers, but the firstborn brings it and honors God. And somebody else, the says, over the course of time, brings some. Like, yeah, I think I'll bring some of that. Why? Because I don't want it. Have you ever given something to somebody else that you don't want? Raise your hand. Come on, confession. We're going to, right? You've given things that you didn't want away. Yes, put them down. So one time, uh, Beck and I got a gift, and we were like, we're going to re-gift it. I don't remember if we were going to re-gift it or give it to Goodwill, which, whichever one it was. But we hadn't even really, like, opened it. We looked at the box, and we're actually driving down the road. And Beck's like, I'm giving this away. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And all of a sudden, she's sitting next to me. I don't remember who exactly had the idea, but they're like, um, we should probably, like, look to make sure what's on the outside of the box is what's on the inside. And I'm like, yeah, we should. So she opens it up, and it was, uh, I hope whoever gave this to us isn't in here tonight, because I don't remember who gave it to us, but anyways. <laughs> so we open this thing up. I might be getting in trouble later. We open this thing up, and it was what was on the outside of the box. It was a small, some type of a picture frame. But Becca pulls out the picture frame, and framed in the picture frame was a $50 bill. And now I do remember, it was going to Goodwill. And I'm like, ah, grab that. And she's like, oh, yeah. So we opened it up, took the 50 out, and put it back. But we were giving something that we didn't, we didn't really, it wasn't like, oh, we're going to get use out of this. Let's let somebody else get some use out of it. And that's kind of, that's what happened here. That's what Cain did. It was just some of what he had. 
But Abel gave the firstborn. It's like, okay, finally, I'm getting a return on all the work that I've been doing. That's what it was. Cattle, sheep, goats, whatever it was, when they finally start having babies, they're like, okay, great. And it's not like another one's just gonna come. It's okay, well, is it the next breeding season or time? Or this is, a, this is vital to what you do. But that's what he gave. That's what he gave. And as we look at that, it, it's kind of obvious why God looked with favor on one and the other without favor. But the interesting thing is this, is that verse five, is that we continue reading, it says, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, was God playing favorites? No. So why was Cain angry? Like this is, it's very interesting, but how, we, how you and I respond to correction is going to greatly influence our effectiveness in life, at work, um, at home, with our spouse, with, with, with siblings, with your boss, with coworkers, how we respond, what we do when we don't do it right, how we, how we react is gonna make a huge, huge difference. Because none of us know it all. Some of us are pretty stinking close. I saw an awesome t-shirt the other day. I wouldn't wear it because this isn't true for me, but I just think it's kind of fun, so I'll just share it with you. It said, um, I don't need Google. My wife already knows it all. <laughs> and I was like, I think it's really funny. Now, that's not our, and that's not, that's not true for us. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not married to someone who thinks she knows it all. I think I think I'd probably, she corrects me. Anyways, I'm, I'm the one that does, never mind. Never, never mind. <sighs> that was awful. It can only go up from there, though, right? It can only get better from there. But nobody, nobody knows it all. We can always learn something from someone else. I like what Harry Truman says. Harry S. Truman said this. It is what you learn after you know it all that counts. It's it's learning something else. It's learning something else. It's learning something else. It's learning something else. But we need to be and we need to have a teachable spirit. Cain most definitely, definitely did not. He most definitely did not. See, we can always learn something from someone. And the, the thing about it is, is we don't learn from people who agree with us. We learn from people who challenge us. And say, well, what about this? And did you think about this? And well, well, what would happen if you did? And if we do do this, then what about this over here? And is this gonna do this? They bring either new information in or help us to see information in a different way that maybe we did not see before, that for whatever reason we were blinded to, that we missed. Part of us learning is needing that, 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 that challenge, that confrontation, somebody else that can come and bring something that we're missing or that we missed in it. So as we read in Genesis 4, chapter 6, we continue on, it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Verse seven, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He's like, it's, it, it, I'm not, it's not hard, it's not difficult. You made a mistake here, change, come back, do what is right, you'll be accepted. God's like, why, why, why are you mad? Why are you upset? And and I think it is strange how often we want the results 
for something, but we don't want to do it. How often we want the results of exercise, but we don't want to do the exercise. Come on, we want the results of eating healthy food. We want the results of going to work. We want the results of the schooling. We want the results, we want the paycheck of it, but we don't want to do what is required to do it. I think Cain in this thing shows us exactly that. He doesn't want to do it. He gets angry. And as you look from the outside at this, you're like, what's wrong with the guy? Like, seriously. But I think very often we do the exact same thing. Very often we look and we do the exact same thing. We look at somebody else and we think, well, why did they have that? How, what did they do to deserve that? You know, I'm try- I would like that or to be there or to have that position or to have that level of influence or affluence or whatever it is we think. I would love to be able to do that. And, and, and we look at it and we think, well, why don't they? Well, and if we're not careful, we get angry. We do the same thing that Cain did. And we say, well, I bet they did something wrong to get there. Oh, I bet that they have somebody, the reason why they got promoted is because they brown nosed these people here and they just did, they were yes men or women and they just did this thing and that's why she was able to get up here and that's why, that's why this happened. That, that's probably why they didn't, it didn't happen to me. And sometimes we're right, but I don't think it's the majority. When really what we need to do is look at ourselves and say, okay, what is it that I'm gonna do different tomorrow to make sure that I am prepared when that opportunity happens. You didn't see the classes that they were taking at night and doing and all the things that they'd been doing to be prepared to be able to do when the door opened, to be able to walk through that opportunity, to be able to do that. It's easy. See, sometimes we look and we see what somebody is is doing, we see what they're able to do, and people can make it look easy. Like they actually make it look easy. Like you ever watch the Olympics? It's amazing what they do, but they do it so well, you're like, that's easy. Like that's amazing, but how hard, how hard could that really be? Because they've practiced so much, they literally make it look almost too easy. They really do. And we think, oh, it couldn't be that hard. But the problem is we don't see all the work that went into doing that, the years and years and years and years and years that they took to get ready to go and to be able to do that. And when it comes to things, sports at that level, to an extent, I think we do, that we're like, yeah, it's Olympics, they're the elite of the elite, yeah, we we kind of kind of put that on them. But we forget about that in everyday life, that so often, People just, they make it look easy. We think, yeah, I, well, I bet I could do that. But the truth is, you could if you did everything that they did to get there. You didn't see the time that they spent. And we look and we think, okay, how is it that I'm going to, to become all that I was created to be? Am I, am I limiting myself? Is it something on the outside? Am I gonna be correctable so that I can change I can become all that God has called me to be. So Cain, Cain's reaction was he gets all upset, he gets all mad. God says, why are you angry? If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But he goes the opposite direction. He gets angry, he lashes out, and he kills his brother. Not the solution. Didn't, didn't help him in the slightest. It, 
it wasn't help. It didn't change anything. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, this is, there's not anybody else. All of a sudden, your gift is as good as it gets because the other guy's not giving me it. it. It didn't change anything. It didn't change anything for the better. It, all he had to do was do it right. In fact, that's what God had already told him. So how do you respond when you're corrected? How do you respond when you get it wrong? What's your first reaction? Proverbs 12:1, and I love this verse. It's really fun. Because in our house, our kids are not allowed to say stupid. Just, they are not allowed to say, so you don't call people stupid, it's not stupid, that's not stupid. You, no, you can't say that. But then, about once a month, or maybe once every other month, I'll be reading the Proverbs with the kids, and we come across Proverbs 12, because it's the 12th day of the month. And so here we go, and we haul out Proverbs 12, 1, and I read. And I don't even have to say it, because I just say to the kids, and he who hates correction is, and I read at the table, and then I stop, and I make them say different words. But this one, I don't even need to say the word, because they already know what it is, and they all yell out, stupid, because they finally get to say the word stupid. But that's how the Bible looks at us. This is how the Bible, when it talks about correction, when it talks about discipline, it says this. He who hates correction is stupid. Now, correction isn't fun. Anybody anybody just enjoy being corrected? Raise your hand. Please. Okay. How about we play this the other way? Who enjoys correcting other people? Anybody? Yeah, there they go. There they go. Like, yeah, that is fun. It can be. Yes, it can but on the receiving side, it's not something we're like, oh, yeah, I just, I just, I can't wait to get corrected. That's so much fun. Maybe you get called to, the boss calls you in, and you're like, oh, I don't know what it's about. But what do you do? You immediately think, okay, is there anything that this could be that it's wrong that I'm about to get in trouble for? Am I the only one that mine does that? And I'm like, oh, did they find out about this or this or this or this or this? I'm like, crap, there's six things this could be about. Now, and then I kind of run up with, okay, if they say this, I need to, be prepared to say why this happened. If they say this, I need to. But, but that's where your mind goes, right? It runs this particular direction because we don't enjoy it. We're like, wait, is it this? Is it this? It's not something that we enjoy doing. However, we're, we're instructed, we're told, don't hate it. Because we are to see it as a place to grow from. A place to grow from. I'm amazed as I read, I was reading some stuff on uh, Pixar Company and how they got started in different things and how they ran through all of their processes and coming up with these movies. And they said, you know what? We did make, one, one of the big mistakes we made after they made Toy Story is we got afraid of failure. We got afraid of mistakes. Was, and that was a mistake within itself. And now we learned to not be afraid of mistakes, but instead to try to make all of our mistakes earlier in the film, designing and making process so we can get past them and then go on. But to not be afraid of mistakes. Mistakes are a part of the process. If you think you're gonna try to do the whole thing without any mistakes, that is your mistake and you will ruin, you will not be able to. And they said it just just ruined us and movies just stopped and it took five years longer than it was supposed to be. I could be wrong on that number, so don't quote me on that part. But it was way longer than it was supposed to be, and they had to go back, look at their process again, and say, we need to allow failure. Because if it says, okay, this didn't work, then what are we going to do? Failure that we grow from, that we say, okay, now that I'm here, I'm going to change, can be beneficial. 
Hebrews 12, 11 says this, says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can I get an amen? amen. But painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's later on. And I love what it says that it brings. It brings peace for those who have been trained by it. I think that's interesting because often we think of, when we, when we think of conflict and we think of correction, it's so not fun. It, it, it's not fun at all, but yet it talks about what is the result of that when we are trained by it is what we want, and that's peace. When we allow people to speak into our lives, when we say, you know, I want to be, and I realize I don't know everything, I want to be, to be open and to be correctable, that that is what brings peace. That is what brings peace. So are you easily corrected? Proverbs 25, 12 says this. To one who listens, valid criticism is like a gold earring or other gold jewelry. Proverbs 15, 31. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself. And it goes on to say, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. I heard a little something that really helped me when, when, when I'm being corrected. And it was this. Touchiness is stupidity's armor. I like it because it helps me. It's not a verse, but if I wrote the Bible, I'd have put it in there. I think it's great. Touchiness is stupidity's armor. That when I'm being corrected, when I come off as touchy, when I come off as, well, well, it's like, wait a second. If my idea, if what I'm putting forth, if what I said is either wrong or incorrect, don't I want to, don't, don't I want to know that it's wrong? Don't I want to know how to make it right? Do I really need to, and, and if my idea can't stand up to some, some questions and some battery, it probably wasn't that good of an idea in the first place, right? If it's so fragile that no one can touch it or say anything or it'll crumble, then I probably really don't want to do that anyways or act on it or move that direction. Not at all. But it says a lot about us. It says a lot about us when we look at how we respond to correction. If you are dating somebody, that is something you need to know. How do they respond to correction? Are they correctable? If they are not, run. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> it is not going to be fun. You want someone that is correctable, and you want to make sure that you are someone who's correctable. Because you're going to go through life, and the idea is that you would build one another up. That you would build one another up. Not dominate, but to build and say, okay, yep, yep, this isn't right, but fill in for each other and to grow together because we gain understanding. When we're in the car, um, Becca, my wife, is a huge, huge backseat driver. I mean, like, like big time, doesn't matter what's going on. She is always, it's green. I'm like, it just, just turned green. But if I don't hit that accelerator, like right, right then, she's like, it's green. And now our kids have actually started picking up on it and they do it. 
<laughs> it's actually really cute because Jono, he's, he's three, and he sits in the car seat in the middle, but he can still see some of the green lights. And so he'll be like, it's green, Daddy. Green means go. Green means go, Daddy. And I'm like, Mom's not even here, and you're taking over for her. <laughs> She's a major backseat driver. I remember there's been several times, several times, I said probably the first three or four years that we got married, after we'd gotten married, because we didn't, anyways, after we'd gotten married, we were driving down the road, and whenever we would see a deer, I'm just cruising along, not we would see a deer, but if she saw a deer, this would be me in the driver's seat, just cruising, and this would be her, deer! And I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm like, what did you say? She goes, there was a deer back there. And I'm like, we just about died. Not because of the deer, but because you saw the deer, and my, holy cow. And it seriously took a while for her to like be like, and now she does this, she's like, there's a deer, do you see it? But seriously, for the longest time, it would be this, ah! I remember one time in particular, we were cruising down a two track, so we didn't have that much extra shoulder or lane, and she did that, deer, and I thought we were going to die. We did not, we did not, I'm here, but, so I knew you knew that, but, oh my goodness, did it scare me, but. What I do, what I have decided is this. With all of the help that she gives me, I would much rather have her warn me about a car, a pedestrian, a red light, a green light that she sees. I'd much rather have her warn me about it and just say, I already knew, than for me to close her down all the time and say, I know, I know, I know, and have her not tell me something and we hit, miss, strike, hurt, kill, injure anybody else. I'd much rather have her tell me something I already know. And, and it's really funny because over and over and over, she'll, she'll be like, oh, here's our turn. Oh, you probably already knew that. And I'm like, I, I don't mind. I really, really don't mind. But I want to have an attitude. And this is one of the areas that I get it right. And I get it wrong in a lot of areas. But I'm just telling you the one that I do get it right in. I'm not saying I get it right ever by any means. But it's, okay, I want to have an attitude. I, I so, because I can't even imagine hitting or striking or getting in an accident and then, and then they're just being like, well, yeah, I saw it coming. Because you know what I'd be like? I'm like, why didn't you tell me? And she'll go, I'll be, I tell you why I didn't tell you because every time I tell you, you blow up and then it's like this whole thing and then you say this and I say this. And, ah! then the kids think we're gonna, it's not, no, we don't need any of that. But I need to take that and I need to apply that outside of the car. And make sure I'm applying that other places. I'd much, much rather, much rather have somebody simply come up to me and say, okay, did you know this? Did you know that this is the effect that you're having here? Did, did you understand that this was said this way or that somebody thought this or that? And you'd be like, ooh. Because I want people to think they can always come and talk to me. I bet you want, you want your coworkers, you want your family members to know, yeah, they can come and talk to you. They can tell you something. You're not going to bristle up, even though that's the first thing that we do, isn't it? I mean, that's the first thing that we do. I, remember I was walking around, around church here. This was Avery. I had Avery. She was a little baby. So this is, what, six, seven years ago? And I'm carrying her around church, something like this, kind of doing one of those. Uh, she's sitting in here doing one of those, like, crotch grabs you do on the kids where you kind of got them by the leg like this and just kind of holding them around. And uh, this guy walks up to me. As I'm carrying around Avery, and he walks up to me, and he's like, hey, 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 um, when you hold your baby, make sure you're holding her leg tight, because if she arcs her back, she can throw herself out of that and fall down and hit the ground. 
And you want to know what my first reaction was? My first reaction is, who are you and why are you talking to me? Like, and telling me how to hold my baby. That is the first thing that went through my head. I didn't, like, plan for it to, and it was just like that. It's just like, boom, there it was, right there. And so I have this gentleman standing right here, and I've got my baby, and I happen to be holding her that way. But I stopped, and I thought, hey, wait a second. Maybe one of his kids wasn't being held right, arched its back and fell on the ground and got hurt. And so now it's on his radar everywhere he goes and he can't help but see it. Maybe he was dropped, not in a funny way, but maybe he was, I know, it's, I know, I know. I'm not trying to say it that way, but that's the thought that went through my head, all right? Well, maybe, maybe he was, I'll skip that part, but maybe somebody else was dropped. It was gonna be a good point, it really was. But maybe it's on his radar because that he has seen that happen before and all he's really trying to do is to make sure, and honestly, he's right. He's right. You do want to make sure you're holding them tight. You never want to drop your child. So I looked at the guy, I said, hey, thanks. But that wasn't my first reaction. Seldom is that our first reaction. But I like what Proverbs 9, 8 says. It says, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. But rebuke a wise man, and he will grow. And he will love you. Verse nine: Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. He will add to his learning. The question is: How do we respond? And do we think? And not only how do we respond to correction when it comes from those that are around us, but how do we respond to correction when it comes from God? Do we think that it means that he doesn't love us, he doesn't like us, he doesn't want anything for us, he doesn't care about us? Or do we think, wait, the Bible says the father corrects us just like, that God corrects us just like the father corrects the son that he loves. But if he didn't love us, he wouldn't take the time. But that's what the Bible is. The Bible talks that the Bible is for correcting, for rebuking, for training, in righteousness, that is what it's supposed to be. And we can sit in service in and out and hear it over and over and over and be like, yeah, but what are we gonna do with it? Are we gonna bristle up and say, that's not for me or that's for somebody else? Or we say, you know what, I need that in my life. I'm gonna act on that. I'm gonna be at home among the wise. I'm gonna be correctable. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make some course changes and redirect I'm gonna change the way that I'm talking to people. I'm gonna change the way that I'm doing this so that I can be all that God has created each and every one of us to be. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God has for us. But correction is a part of life. Not only that, but it seems to me, the more that I read this, that correct, how we respond to correction will determine. It says what? He who loves correction is wise. He who hates it is stupid. He who does not receive correction will be found among fools. But those who receive it among the wise. I think it makes a really big difference how we respond to correction. All across the board, from those that are around us and from our Heavenly Father, 
when through his word, he corrects us. And he, through his word, he speaks to us. Second Timothy 2.20 says this. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. Verse 21. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. In verse 21, it said this, he who cleanses himself. When God speaks, do you respond or do you just stay? Say, no, nah, I'm, I'm just going to stay right here. I, I, don't, I, I can't change it. I, I don't know what's going to happen to here. I think it's interesting, it's he who cleanses himself. He who sets himself apart, another translation says. See, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about what the word of God does. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And you gotta have that latter part in there. That that's why it's here. It's to equip us for the good things. For good, let me correct that, it's not good things, for good works to equip us to do good works. That's what it's there for, to equip us. So it doesn't matter the mistakes. If, I know every single one of us have made mistakes. All of us have. The question is not have you made mistakes. The question is what have you done since then? Have you walked away? Have you learned from it? Have you, have you received correction from God, from those that are around you and said, okay, God, I want to move on and I'm going to become all that you created me to be? Because godly sorrow, this is what it's supposed to do, 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. We're, we're all going to make mistakes. It's just a matter of what we're going to do afterwards. Say, so, okay, God, I'm gonna run to you. I'm sorry about this, but I'm running to you. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. A good plan, a good purpose for each and every one of us. And yet a huge part of how much of that each and every one of us will live out is how we respond to correction. From others and from God. What are we gonna do to it? What are we gonna do with it? Are we gonna stay there and say, no, I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna do this? Because again, it says that if we will set ourselves apart, then we are able to be used by God. His, his will in our life, it's not gonna automatically happen just because God has a plan for you. But if we say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna become all. I'm gonna set aside this. I'm gonna become, I'm gonna learn from this. I'm not gonna stay in the place that you left me. I'm gonna become all that you have created me to be. So the last question for the night, how are you going to respond to correction? How are you going to respond when you get it wrong? We all get it wrong. So it's not a matter of, oh, no, I got it wrong. It's a matter of how are you going to respond? Are you going to learn from it? Or are you going to stay where it's at and say, no, I, I, I close yourself off? Would you guys bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I want to take a moment before we dismiss to make sure that every single person that can hear my voice knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. See, you can know that you are saved. You can know that you are forgiven and you can know that you're on your way to heaven. 
It's not a matter of guessing. It's not a matter of thinking, well, I don't know how much good I did and how much bad I did here. See, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we will be saved. You can know. We can pray, and you can leave here tonight knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven, knowing that your sin, all the mistakes, the stuff that you don't, you are forgiven from that. Yeah, you may not have acted right or done it right, but that can all be forgiven. And you can have a clean, be made new on the inside, have a clean slate with God. And you begin to walk in the peace that only comes through a relationship with God. Or maybe you're here tonight, you said, I've made so many mistakes. Yes, I was living for God, but I turned my back on him and I've turned, I'm so far from where I should be. He's calling you, and he wants, he's, he's calling you home. He wants you back. He's willing. He would love to take you. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And you can leave here tonight knowing again that you're on your way to heaven. You can walk in that peace that comes through relationship with him. And you can leave here with the freedom that comes knowing that you're forgiven from that past and begin to walk, to receive that correction, to, to walk out your life, the purpose and the plans that God has for you. If you're either of those, I wanna pray with you tonight. I love that honor. So if that's you on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up high and I wanna pray with you. One, two, three. Shoot it up now and say, that's me and I'm leaving different. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Who else? Leave it up, leave it up. I would like to see it. Leave it up high, thank you. Put those hands down and let's all just pray with those that lifted their hands. Repeat after me if you would. Say, Jesus, forgive me and make me new. And tonight, I make you my Lord. I make you my King. And from now on, I'm gonna live for you. Thank you for sending your son to die for me to shed his blood so I could be free. From now on, I'm yours. And I'm gonna live for you with all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about ResLife, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about ResLife or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.